The following is a presentation of the Eastern Michigan Sports Network from Learfield. Straight from the 734, it's the Eastern Insider Podcast. Presented by Folding Warehouse, Ipsy, Ann Arbor. Your chance to get in on the action. Now, let's send it to the guys on the inside of it all. Greg Steiner and Alex Jewell. Alex, what do Chris Creighton and I have in common? Uh, is it that you never lose to Western Michigan? Well, at least in the last four years. Well, that, I was going to say, I've got a key to the city of Mobile. He's now got one to Kalamazoo because he's been locking that place up. That's right. Another time that Eastern Michigan has pounded those ponies over there in Kalamazoo. We're going to talk about that right after a look at last week. First, here's the rundown. It's been a busy last seven days across Eastern Michigan athletics as nearly every day featured competition. Women's golf used a second day surge to finish tied for second place at the Shirley Spork Invitational hosted right here at Eagle Crest. After a day without action on Wednesday, it was soccer and volleyball that took to their respective home venues. Scott Hall's bunch dropped a tough match Thursday to Kent State before coming up just short in Buffalo on Sunday. Meanwhile, volleyball fell in a pair of gritty efforts against Ohio and Kent State on Thursday and Friday respectively. The big win of the week came Saturday in Kalamazoo where football demolished the West Western Michigan University Broncos, or perhaps Ponies, for the fourth straight year. The 22-point win is the largest for the team over their in-state rival in the 58-game history of the series. Samson Evans, three rushing touchdowns. Jose Ramirez, a school record four sacks. For more information on that game, box scores, and all things EMU athletics, visit emueagles.com. There it is, Greg. You heard all about it in the rundown. Samson Evans, three touchdowns on the ground. Jose Ramirez, four sacks. How about the defensive effort? by Chris Creighton and really Neil Nethery and company to lock down the Broncos yet again. Fourth straight win. First time in program history that Eastern Michigan's done that. Carried their lunch pail entirely in that game. Eastern was sacking left and right, uh, tying the school record. Well, one shy of the school record, second best as Jose Ramirez. He goes for the school record in sacks, but it was a tremendous day. Complimentary football is what Coach Creighton talked a lot about, and you'll hear plenty about that in our interview with him, you'll always tune in for it. It's a large region that Eastern was so good is because offensively, they moved the football. Defensively, they were able to go get three and outs each and every time it's felt like. Well, here's a fun and obscure fact for you. Neil Nethery coached his 76th game at Eastern Michigan on Saturday at Western Michigan. In 21 of his 76 games as the defensive coordinator, EMU has forced a game opening three and out. That was a large reason that Eastern Michigan was able to pick up the win. You talked about it offensively as well, Greg. Taylor Powell returned for the first time since September 17th. He was excellent. Three touchdowns, no interceptions, played very clean, put the ball right on the money. In addition to Samson Evans on the offensive side of the ball, scoring three touchdowns. How about this? 35 points in the first half. That's the most since 2017. Eastern Michigan continues to roll seven straight games with more than 20 points on the board. Uh, another game with 20-plus points in the first half. That's the 27th time under Chris Creighton they have done that. So there is your big group of stats and facts for this week. All you need to know is that Eastern Michigan did a fantastic job. They beat their rival. Oh, here's one more for you. 22-point margin of victory, the most over Western Michigan. But, Greg, it is Monday, and just like Eastern Michigan football turns the page and tries to flush it, we have to do that, too, because it's a big, big, big game coming up against the defending MAC champion, 
Northern Illinois Huskies. And uh, I know you've got quite the interesting tidbit. It's been quite a while since Eastern Michigan has knocked off a defending champion. You have to go back to 2016, also the last time Eastern Michigan started off a year 5-2. and two. That was Bowling Green that season. This time Eastern Michigan looks to knock off Northern Illinois in that category as the Huskies come in 1-5, but they are not a 1-5 team. Statistically, Eastern Michigan and NIU almost exactly the same on paper. Points per game, they're within .3 of each other. Eastern defensively, a little bit better, but NIU very good offensively. Last week, the difference, a couple pick sixes. Otherwise, they probably knock off Toledo. They've had a hard go, had Tulsa, certainly Vanderbilt. Uh, this is a team that also pushed Kentucky the limit. So we talk a lot with Coach Creighton about that. And then get you set for Band Day this weekend. Band and Youth Sports, as there will be more than 1,000 uh, high school musicians coming in with 19 different local bands here. Alex, I know you will be out there playing your flute. It's always fun when the high school kids get to come out and take to the field with the EMU marching band. It's so cool to see a thousand different high school students on the field at one time playing. If you're a fan of football, it's a great weekend to come out. If you're a fan of high school uh, athletics, high school bands, and supporting that effort, it's a great week to come out. If you just love music, it's a great week to come out. Really what I'm saying is there's no excuse not to come out to the factory this weekend. And Greg, that's a good way to plug this. Uh, you may not even have to pay for tickets because if you're listening to this episode, uh, it's the return of a keyword giveaway this week. And one of the prizes is that two pack of tickets to the game this week. And by the way, if you listen to the keyword, you send it in on EMU Twitter or Facebook to the athletics account and you're put in that drawing, I may consider, I may consider it if we get enough participation, I may consider bumping it from two tickets to four tickets for this week's game. Only if you guys are all nice to me and only if enough people participate. And uh, we'll talk about another prize that's going to come up in a little, little bit. In a little bit. But before that, we also have to talk about our next interview. Greg, I got to sit down with Kemp Savage, the head rowing coach. He's going to join us on the show today as well. He was. Kemp, our usual guest, we have in the spring, but they closed out their winter season, as you already heard, against Michigan State the other day. But great things in store for the rowing program, about to get a new home uh, to continue to build upon their efforts. Last year, got new boats. This year, a new training locker room student lounge facility. I'll tell you what, I'd like a year in my life where I get a new boat and a new lounge and a new office. Uh, I did get a new we'll office this year, which Becca. was nice. Yes. So uh, next is a new boat for me. But yes, Kemp Savage comes on. We have a great conversation about the physics of rowing. If you didn't know, when the water gets a little bit colder, it actually changes the boat. Uh, but uh, a full disclosure, we're not a scientific program, so we may be just a little bit off. We also talk about the new home, the building of the program, and so much more. I mentioned it a few seconds ago. We do have the return of the keyword giveaway. Listen between the Coach Creighton and the Kemp Savage interview. There'll be a keyword. All you have to do is send it to us on EMU Athletics, either Twitter or Facebook. You'll be entered in to win a drawing if you get the word right. This week, it's a giveaway for tickets to this week's game against Northern Illinois. And also, Greg, also, if you haven't gotten a chance to try the world phenomenon that is foaling, combines football and bowling, there's a new one right here in Ann Arbor. They are also the proud title sponsor of this podcast. Our friend Scott and, and his company at Foley were able to get their hands on some free game gift cards. So we're giving away a gift card 
to f- the Folding Warehouse in this episode as well. Don't beat it. Got to go and enjoy some folding. We need to get over there ourselves and work out uh, the old shoulder and throw throw down some pins. I went a couple weeks ago. My shoulder, uh, and this is really not anything other than telling you how out of shape I am. My shoulder hurt after that night, but I did smoke our old friend Kyler Ludlow on the folding lanes. Ooh. All that aside, we've talked too much. It's time to get you to the interviews and a reminder that there's so much good in store this week on the campus of UMU Athletics. If you can make it out, football needs your help. Help them go five and two. Get out for more of the action. As always, check the calendar, emueagles.com slash calendars. Let's take a quick time out. On the other side of this, Greg Steiner, Chris Creighton, a full breakdown of the win against the Western Michigan Broncos and a look at the game against Northern Illinois and so much more. Kemp Savage right after this as well. You're listening to the Eastern Insider Podcast. Whether you're in the D or out at sea, we always bring you the E on the only show that brings you all things Eastern all the time. The Eastern Insider Podcast. Eagles go on the road, pick up a rivalry win over Western Michigan as we recap the week that was and get you set for the upcoming contest against Northern Illinois this weekend as we're joined by EMU head coach Chris Creighton. Always a fun way to win, to go on a road and pick up it, but even more special when it's Western Michigan. The first leg of the rivalry trophy, first time this program's ever won four in a row, but more importantly, offensively and defensively, your team was able to play very complimentary football in that game. One to build the lead and then just play keep away. I I would throw special teams um, into that equation as well. Uh, you know, neither of the of the three units were were perfect, but we did play complementary football, particularly in the in the first half. And um, they won the toss and deferred, kicked off to us. We went down and scored. Our defense got a three and out. You know, um, returned the punt and went down and scored. Um, kicked off. Our defense got them into a fourth and twenty-one. Punted got the ball, went down and scored. And so it was just um, all three phases uh, working well together. And then I would say too, we challenge our guys that the blocking and the tackling had to happen, the execution, but that we needed to be, you know, um, emotionally ready uh, to play at noon and to play in, you know, what we call like a semifinal, um, you know, for this Michigan Mac trophy and whatnot. And, you know, to our guys credit and, you know, I think that I know that at noon, our guys were were ready to go. Offensively, you, you put up 35 in the first half. You outgain Western Michigan 211 to 5 in the opening quarter. But one of the more impressive things was the way you get two two guys back. You're able to get Taylor Powell and Dylan Drummond back for the first time in, in a couple weeks. Granted, you do lose Tanner Canoe and you lost Alex Howie on that opening drive as well offensively, it was like old times. People picked up right where they were. What were you most proud of the offense really clicking early on about? Well, running the ball, um, you know, in, in our tempo, you know, guys were, were coming off the ball and, you know, Samson was was seeing it and, and you know, doing what he does, running really hard. And then, you know, we, we mixed in um, some of the passing game and in the passing game, we knew that we would have to beat man and, uh, you know, that, the big one early from from Taylor to Dylan, you know, was a man beater yep. and um, pretty big gain, and you know, put us in position to to score our first points. 
This week will also mark a milestone for City Sal on your offensive line as he'll tie Vince Calhoun for most games played in Eastern Michigan career. He has been an anchor on that offensive line. It was another force again this week. What's so good about City? Uh, City has has just you know really continued to get better and better and better. He he gave his senior share a couple weeks ago and did a fantastic job. And uh, either he or I reminded everybody that he bench pressed 185 pounds. You know when he first got here that January day, um, he's you know bench pressing over 400 over 400 pounds and squatting over 600 pounds and and uh, he just knows and understands the game and um, he's a really good athlete. He's he's you know big and strong and loves the game and uh, is a great teammate. Um, so I think all of those are factors in, in making City who he is. On the defensive side of things, the team able to dial up seven sacks, second most in school history. But Jose Ramirez earns two awards out of it. He selected the Senior Bowl Defensive Player of the Week, as well as the East-West Shrine Bowl's Breakout Defensive Player. Uh, what more can you say about what Jose and the entire defense was able to do to get quarterback? back pressure in that contest. Yeah, again, I mean, I think our defensive staff, you know, has has done a really good job. Um, you know, uh, after that Buffalo game, I think they put some time and, and thought into, you know, some some wrinkles for, um, you know, these these two teams specifically about how, how we could, you know, change things up a little bit. And um, I think they've made some great adjustments and changes and um, our guys have, you know, responded to that, you know, as well. And then, you know, one of the things was we needed to get our stop downs needed to improve, um, needed to get off the field. And we just talked about Western Michigan. I mean, the, their first series was three and out. It's a yep. big deal. Yep. When you go down and score and then it's three and out and you're able to go back down and score again. I mean, you know, you, you want to take the emotion and the momentum and all of that out of a football game, but you know, uh, it's still relevant. Um, and, uh, so that, that, that was a big, big part of it. And so we've gotten more pressure. And uh, obviously, you know, this week, you know, when you have one person and Jose is obviously a special talent, but, you know, four sacks and seven sacks uh, in a game is, uh, you know, that's that's rare. Um, and uh, so, uh, you know, any any attention that, uh, you know, our defense is getting and and all that, it's awesome. Defense the last two weeks have combined for seven or for 13 three and outs. Uh, they have a total of 20 on the year. As putting your offensive play killer mentality hat on, see a three and out, how deflating can that be to a team? Oh, I mean, you know, unfortunately, you know, we've had some, you know, on offense and it's, uh, it's really frustrating. Uh, you you want to get, you want to move the change. You want to change field position. Obviously, you want to score points. And you know, three and out means that something didn't go well. Right. Um, and there's there's energy from that, obviously defensively, and um, it uh, it's just a good thing for for the whole team. We turn our attention this week to Northern Illinois, a chance to go five and two on the year, something Eastern Michigan has not done since 2016 uh, for the first bowl breakthrough that you guys had. Being able to get to five and two, taking on a defending MAC champion. Uh, what does this week mean for this program? Well, you know, in terms of all those numbers, I mean, we, honest to God, are looking at, you know, going 1-0. Um, those are the, the two numbers that we're, that we're talking about, and, and we know that it will be a monster challenge. You, know, you just mentioned it. I mean, these guys, you know, the 
the COVID season, however you want to characterize that. You know, they were at the the bottom of the final, you know, standings and um, picked to, to stay there. And they went and beat almost everybody last year and won the MAC championship. You know, it was one of the better stories in, in college football. Um, and uh, got a lot of players back, a lot of players back. Um, and, uh, you know, they've, you know, for people who just look at the, the record, it's just, it's, you know, it's naive. Right. Um, uh, they went to a top 10 program, Kentucky, and uh, were then striking distance there at the end of the game. They're up 14, I believe it was, at home versus Vanderbilt in the SEC. They played two SEC opponents. Tulsa went down to the, to the wire, yep. you know, it was a, what, one or two point game in the American Conference. And, um, you know, they, they were up, I think, 24-7 at one point on Ball State and up 10 with five minutes left. And I just, you know, credit Ball State on, on their comeback and taking it to overtime and beating them in overtime. And, um, yeah, it's just uh, um, then, you know, we, we just played. Um, uh, well, I'm just going back to Ball State there. Uh, but anyway, um, Northern um, is, uh, you know, the same team and program that's really been what the best, yep. you, you'd know better than anybody, but the best in, in the Mid-America Conference over the last couple of decades. And uh, so, um, and we, you know, we've, this is the first time that we've stacked victories, you know, which is our whole theme, um, done it once. <laughs> so we, we, we're going to do everything we can to try to do it again. Yeah, you talk about statistically almost similar teams, Eastern and NIU, Eagles fourth in total offense, NIU fifth. The Huskies score 31.7 points a game. Eastern scores 31.5. Both teams have scored 25 touchdowns. How are they different offensively with a guy, Rocky Lombardi, a senior, versus if they have to go to their bench? Yeah, I, I wouldn't call it their bench at this point. I know that's what it would it would have been, you know, coming into the season. But we're halfway through the regular season, yep. and uh, he got hurt, you know, pretty early on. So um, it's uh, you know, it's not like they're they're bringing in somebody. He's been playing. Um, and and we're we're going to be ready, you know, for for Lombardi. Um, uh, you know, he's been dressed the last two yep. weeks, and and so, you know, he uh, obviously is a huge factor. Um, he's got the it factor. He's got the ability to throw it and to run it. Incredibly tough, um, and uh, so we'll be be ready for him. And um, and then so we recruited uh, Hampton, so we we're familiar with him for sure think he's a really good player and um you know everybody you know is going to look at and and talk about um you know turning the ball over last week versus Toledo um but you know all that does is remind us of what we did in week two um yep. and one half right um and so I don't care who you are you know if you're the ball gets taken away um that many times in a game and a half uh you know it's very, 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 very unlikely that you're going to win. And we've experienced that. So I don't put a whole lot of stock into that at all. It's band day. thousand bands, 19 high school bands will be in attendance. Look forward to having everybody back out the factory this weekend at 3.30. Can't let you get out of here without mentioning tonight's Monday night football game. It's Raiders versus Chiefs, Wiley versus Crosby. Uh, I, we know you're a Raider fan at heart, but when you watch this matchup, 
it's got to be fun to see those guys lining up against each oh, other. Oh man, yeah. I mean, words can't describe how how proud so many here at Eastern Michigan, Eastern Michigan football are. Um, you know, of those two guys. Um, it's. I mean, you're talking about starting offensive lineman who's a Super Bowl champion. Yep. Uh, my daughter and I got to go to the game, and and uh, we were in the end zone where they were celebrating. I mean, it's just um, an incredible experience. Um, and uh, you know, and then we've we've got uh, the the captain of the Raiders, who was the um, the Pro Bowl defensive MVP, um, and Max, and soon to be dad. And, um, yeah, so. Um, we're going to be game planning, unfortunately, but it will be, it'll, it'll be on. And um, I just remember any of the times that these two have gone up against each other, I'm always waiting for them to line up against each other, right. you know, and just watching that. I mean, it's the coolest Wiley thing in the world. did get him a little bit last year. Oh, yeah? No, shoot, man. I mean, yeah. I mean, listen, it, I can't tell you how cool it is when you're watching the game on TV and they're literally lined up, you know, across from each other. Um, and uh, just two major players, you know, on those on those teams. You might see the factory tonight. They've asked for Ring of Honor video. I've sent oh, cool. it to them. So Ring of Honor, and I don't know if you remember it. There, the Bahamas Bowl team photo when we're standing on the field there. Those guys happen to be in the photo right next to each other. Ah, that's cool. Yeah. So it should be a fun one. Tonight on Monday Night Football, Raiders and Chiefs. Coach, appreciate your time. We'll get ready for Eagles and Huskies this weekend from the factory. Thanks for your time as all. Go Eagles. Alex and I, back after this, you're listening to the Eastern Insider. It's time for another Eastern Insider keyword. Fans, don't forget to message EMU Athletics on Facebook or Twitter with today's keyword for your chance to win an exclusive prize. Now, listen up. With a win this week, EMU football could go 5-2 and two for the first time since 2016. That year, the team played in the Bahamas Bowl, its first postseason appearance in 29 years. In honor of that season, and because we could all use some Bohemian beach time, this week's keyword is Bahamas. Send us the keyword by messaging EMU Athletics on Twitter and Facebook. You could win a full-in gift card and free tickets to this week's game against NIU. There's only one place in the state of Michigan that takes you straight inside the locker room. And that's the Eastern Insider Podcast. Your chance to get in on the action, bringing you more coverage than any other program in the mitten. Welcome back to this week's Eastern Insider Podcast. Our next guest on the show is Kemp Savage. He is the head rowing coach. Coach, welcome back to the program. We are thrilled to have you on to talk a little bit of rowing as we keep moving on in this fall. Thanks, Alex. Always a pleasure to be on the podcast. Okay, so we were just talking about it before we started the recording. And if anybody's gone to the schedule page or has been following rowing this fall, they'll look on the page and see that you guys have had three events. You scrimmaged against Michigan, Wisconsin, and Michigan State uh, this just this past weekend. And I was asking you because it's one of those obscure sports that maybe some people may not understand when they look just at the schedule they see you have events in the fall, then you take the lengthy break, and then you get going in the spring again. And I said scrimmages, but they kind of count, but they, so just take us through for somebody that may not know what the rowing schedule looks like. What is the regular season? What is the schedule this fall? And how does that transition into the spring? And then what are you guys taking out of, out of these races that you guys have in the fall? So you can kind of think of it like a little bit like cross country and track season. 
Um, you can get a good feel for how well the distance is going to do based on the cross country season, but it's really a completely different kind of beast. Uh, and why we kind of label these scrimmages is because when you get into our regular season, we have the three NCAA boats, the one, one V eight, two V eight and the varsity four. When we're doing these scrimmages, we might prioritize other boats. We might say like, I'll use Wisconsin, for example, like we prioritized and broke our one V eight and two V eight into fours. And we put our, uh, varsity four and, um, four other people out in an eight. And we kind of prioritize sending more fours out to get that racing experience and break it down, have more boats on the course. So to bring that competition level up. So it kind of, it allows us as coaches to, to be more fluid in the fall season. Then when we look at like bigger events, like the head of the Charles coming up in two weeks, that's going to be, you know, that's going to be reported. That's going to be something we look at for preseason rankings. So for in the spring, so you're going to see most everybody rowing their varsity eight, their second eight, and their four, if they're going to put bids in. And there are a couple places that do that. Um, and usually it's more towards the end of October. Uh, the Princeton Chase is one um, that's real he- uh, high, the uh, Ravana Romp at University of Virginia. They're they're both kind of those, that's where people kind of start counting. You can think of them kind of as the more championship side of the uh, slate. Uh, so it, it kind of, it kind of counts, but it's more so we can get out and see other teams, particularly, uh, practice our smaller boats, which translate into bigger boats, get more competition. I mean, it was, we were in, we were in Wisconsin, there were, they have their teams 150. So it was their lightweights, their open weights and us. So it almost tripled the amount of people on the water. It just makes it a more competitive racing day and has a little more uh, variation. So you can kind of see a lot of different speeds and try some different stuff. One thing we know about a lot of our listeners and a lot of people that live in the state is Michiganders love to be on the water. A lot of times in boats, especially on the, in the summer months, Uh, when you look at your schedule, you guys are rowing deep in to the fall. Um, question I've got for you is, is there maybe a naive question, but is there a difference or is it, is it challenging as you continue to go on through the fall? You look at the head of the Charles, October 22nd in Boston, it's likely that it'll be very cold by then. A lot of the elements, how do those elements and the temperatures change uh, the the level of athleticism and when whatnot that's needed to be in the boat? Uh, because certainly most of us are not going to be on the water at that level at that at that time of year well the east coast like michigan just name the day and the weather could be different (laughs) there was one year where i think saturday ahead of the charles was 60 degrees and sunny and the next day was 31 degrees and sleeting so it really depends on the day but with being in the north and any of the northern teams will tell you this that you have to be prepared to go out when it's cold and you have to be you know, what the the gear we focus on is a lot of being able to deal with cold weather outside and getting wet or have the potential to get splashed, not just fully submerged. You know, we kind of end our season kind of that first weekend in November. It just by that point, it's it's not as much the the temperature, it's the wind starting to come up. It's starting, it usually gets a little rainy towards that time of the year. And it just we don't get good practices. So we'd rather shift out of our 20 hour weeks there then try try and force it. As far as the cold, it, you know, it takes a little more time to get warmed up. Strangely, the water gets actually a little more dense. So you lose, you, you there's some positives and negatives of that. Obviously the wind has an effect as you kind of get that late fall wind. Obviously if it's a headwind, it's terrible. If it's a tailwind, it's really nice and free speed. So it, it doesn't really adjust a lot of what we look at. Things like 
for our head race season, we got to be a little bit better about our warmups just to make sure we're our body's fully ready to go because you don't get warmed up and you spend the first half of the race cold, you're not going to race well. Um, that kind of was what happened last year at the head of Charles. We took a thousand meters of a 5k to get into speed. And then we had lost like 10 seconds off the front end, gained a lot of it, gained some of it back in the back end, but just, it wasn't there. Um, too much to lose at that point. Okay. Take me to science class real quick. When the water gets colder, gets more dense, you say, how, how does that affect a boat going through the water? Very negligibly. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, water gets more dense and then less dense as it freezes, but that's a different story. But so basically the, the hull is a little bit harder to move. Um, the wetted surface area is a little bit more like the molecules are close together. It's harder to push through, but the contrast is you can actually lock on with your oar easier. So it's kind of a, if you row well, it's not a big deal. If you don't row well, it becomes a bigger deal. Okay. So there's some positive minuses and I'm sure someone's going to be like, that's not the full physics of it. And I agree. <laughs> okay. Well, full disclosure, this yeah. is an athletics related podcast. If you're listening in from the science community and something that coach said is, is a little bit off, just deal with it. We're here to talk about our rowing team coach. Tell me a little bit about this team as we're, as we're in the fall, this is a, a program that, that you have really built over the last number of years. The numbers have continued to grow. The amount of staff has continued to grow. Uh, what does the roster look like this year? How many people are, are you bringing back? Do you have kind of those varsity boats already set? Is it, a, is it open to figure out who's still going to take those roles in the, in the spring? So I, I'm for the fall and the head of the Charles we've, got probably six of the eight seats selected and there's probably about 12 people that still in that group of um, six in and six competing for two more. So that's, you know, even then we're two weeks out and we still haven't selected everything. As far as the 2V and the varsity four and the 3V go, those are wide open because we've had last, last year we had a novice make the 1V. She just got it. Um, she, and she pushed and is fast and is going to be in the 1V um, probably the rest of the year as long as everything continues to progress for her. So we have always that kind of opening um, and you never want to turn down someone who's going fast. So I can't say that we have decided anything for the fall or for the spring. And we have not even fully decided anything for two weeks from now. It's just, there's too much space for people to improve and make a technical change, even make an intensity or mindset change and go faster for us to say, Oh yeah, we're decided it. I think if you would ask us, uh, you know, we had to book our flights for Head of the Charles month and a half ago, and I can tell you we got some of them right and we got some of them wrong. We'll see as it goes in the next week or so uh, to finally get that decision made. At that point, uh, in, in Michigan, especially in this part of the country, rowing is not necessarily a sport that's super accessible to a lot of youth athletes. So a lot of your athletes uh, don't necessarily have a rowing background, or if they do, maybe it hasn't been something they've been doing for their whole life. What makes a, a good rower at the collegiate level? And is there a sp certain sport or set of sports that you found that help make the athletes uh, help them make that transition pretty well in college? If you're talking about talent based, talent based for rowing is height, big and tall, big and strong. Um, those two things help a lot. As far as what sport makes the best athletes, usually you kind of find a really good transfer between a tall swimmer or a tall runner. Sports that don't necessarily favor being tall 
Um, also like there's always, you know, when someone asks what we're looking for, one of the things you say is like, there's always that like six foot two kid on the end of the basketball bench who beats everybody on, you know, sprints, but has hands like bricks. Like they can go <laughs> gold medal in the Olympics. Cause we don't need to respond to anything except doing the same thing over and over again. So that kid can train that kid can go win. It's really rowing. A lot of people just haven't had the exposure to find out that it's a sport for them. And there are a decent amount of rowing teams in Michigan, but even then it's just not every high school, like volleyball, basketball, soccer is. So we have the ability to train athletes. And in four years, I mean, there's kids who've gone straight to the Olympic team from nothing. So it's, it's a real open space. But it just comes down to like, you know, it'd be nice. It's always nice to be tall, but also the training aspect. I know you don't have uh, any big responsibilities as the as the head coach of a collegiate rowing program. But to that point, it seems like you and your staff have really in the last couple of years put an emphasis on offering more camps, doing more development, trying to get the community involved with rowing, bringing them out to see what it's all about. Do you feel like that is one of the kind of the responsibilities you have as a head coach is trying to push the sport through the community and make more people aware of it and, and get them involved at a younger age? I think it is. It's a responsibility. I don't like just as a head coach, but as a rowing coach, I mean, this, the sport changed who I was. And I think if you ask any of the staff, it changed who they were and to be better people and better employees. And there are a lot of lessons you can learn through rowing that apply to who you want people to be as people. Um, delayed gratification, having to work hard every day, just real things that seem basic, but are very hard life skills. Um, so I think it's part of, I would say, things I need to do to just make sure more people have a better chance to succeed uh, is exposing them to rowing and expose them to how awesome this sport is. Not many people see a sunrise every day of the week, and rowing coaches are one of the few. I usually ask this more towards the end. I do want to flip to a different subject after this, but while we're on the topic, from the head coach's point of view, what's the best way to start getting involved with the sport to, to get in contact with somebody like you so that when they make that jump to college, it's an easier transition? Uh, there are a lot of clubs around, so you can start reaching out to clubs, but also if if your athlete, your, your student athlete, kid, whatever you want to call them <laughs> at that point, is interested in a sport that they haven't tried and want to make that transition is start reaching out to coaching staffs. Um, rowing coaching staffs may seem like we're, you know, uncontactable, but every single one in the country takes walk-ons. Like, I don't know anybody who doesn't have some version of a walk-on program. So reach out to them, see what they have to offer, see what, see what they're you're looking for and matching your choice in university to possibly becoming a student athlete at the D1 level, which is not something you can do in any other sport. Spending a few more moments with Kemp Savage. He's the head rowing coach here at Eastern Michigan. And coach, your sport obviously takes place on the water, but I want to transition off the water because uh, a couple of floors underneath where I'm sitting in the George Griffin Dam Above Center, there is construction that's been going on on a brand new facility for you and your team, offices, uh, a lounge, uh, a great space to be doing some indoor training. Uh, tell us a little bit about the space that your team is getting. I know it's been a long time coming, and I know that you think it's it's critical for the program to to be able to have such a nice space coming into, uh, into the facility. Well, 
I think number one, it's the first time that anything has been specifically designed for rowing and gutted, rebuilt to be a rowing specific training space on campus. So our older room was half of the old uh, or the equipment room and they had converted it and it was it was good, but it was too small for a team of 70 athletes. You could, you can only get about 28 people in there. So when you start doing the math on that, that's three sessions a day. And twice a week, we have two sessions a day, no matter what, that makes like 12 hours of ergs turning, which is a long day for the coaching staff before you get anything else done. Uh, as well as just, you don't have a good team environment when you've got 28, 28 and 14 left coming in. It's going to be critical because we can get 70 ergs, we can get 20 bikes in that space. It's going to be huge to getting our team together, training together, the ability to train together, the space that's ours. We designed it, you know, so we can have music that doesn't blare from one corner and not the others. We can have our ergs lined up, mirrors to, to examine technique. We're putting a video board on the front so that we don't have to do as much whiteboard scribbling uh even the space that was there which was the football team old football team room had meeting spaces around the outside which really weren't useful to us because it just broke up that open floor plan that we really are looking for um the other one was it had a drop ceiling and it kept all the heat down and when you get 70 people into a room and they're not doing anything the temperature goes up by five degrees now have them exercising at their max and the temperature goes up it went up about eight degrees and the humidity went up about 20% during a practice. Uh, so we, we opened up the ceiling. So I think it's got a 20 ish foot, 18, 20 foot ceiling now, depending on which space you're looking at. It's going to have fans redid the entire HVAC so we can have a better control over the temperature of the room. Lots of things that are just going to make it a, a real training space and not a borrowed space that we get to use. And it's it, like you said, staff offices, we actually have storage space, which is something we haven't really had before. Uh, and the the lounge is going to be nice to give our student athletes a chance to have a place that's theirs that they don't have to share with anybody. When you are trying to do so much to build the program, to con to convince uh, student athlete, convincing them to try rowing, to give it a chance, or when you're when you're recruiting people to come here that uh, may be considering other programs, how big is it to have a facility like that, and and what does that do to elevate the program? It it's huge because it was always for so long. It was the promise of this. This is coming down the pipe. This is coming down the pipe. And now I can walk them into the construction and say it's happening. Like it's, it's a, it's a complete game changer. And we've noticed it from last year, this year in our recruiting and the number of commitments we have has gone way up because we have the tangible ability to say, this is the investment. This is what the university is looking at with our team. And it, it's, it's a complete game changer. Um, anyone who has investment happening in their program will tell you that it it changes how prospective athletes look at you because it changes how everyone looks at you. Um, before we were we were here, we were surviving, but you can't get up and start looking out until you're past surviving. And you can't start being as accountable for your teammates and accountable for the next step if you're just surviving. You have to get up, you have to get your head up and finally have the ability to look around. And I think that's that's going to be a huge part of our next step. We've talked a lot about as a team, the next jump. We've been in the middle. And in order to go win our conference, our conference champion is right right on the edge of that top 20. 
always is. So if we want to go win a conference championship, we've got to start talking about being in the top 20. It's not being in the middle to be in the top, you know, 128 to make a bowl game or what 68 to make a basketball turn. Like we've got to be in the top 20 and that's a big jump from 35, 40 to go to 20. Um, but in, we have to talk about it. That's why we schedule so hard in the fall. We schedule so hard in the spring because we can't go into that space without seeing where that space is. There he is Kemp Savage, the head coach of the Eastern Michigan Rowing Program. You're listening to the Eastern Insider Podcast. This has been another edition of the Eastern Insider Podcast, powered by Learfield. Tune in every Monday for new episodes all year long. And don't forget to visit emueagles.com slash podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts for all of our episodes on demand.